Hello, mystery and thriller fans. My name's Jess, and this is Cam Cat Unwrapped. You've been listening to Jove Brand is Near Death by J.A. Crawford. And today we have the author here with us for a virtual chat. Joe, thank you so much for joining us. It is a pleasure to be here. I'm so excited to get to chat with you. We emailed a little bit back and forth about the kind of research you've done. But before we get into it, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, Sure. I have lived uh, an eclectic life, um, probably because I always wanted to be a writer, but never was able to work up the courage. Um, So I have... uh, I've taught uh, criminal justice at the university level. I've taught many martial arts and coached fighters. I've taught Montessori kindergarten. Wow. And I spent uh, many years as a independent investigator, uh, fraud and fire investigator, and uh, sort of a specialist for insurance companies. They send me around the country to look into stuff for them. Oh my Um, gosh. And uh, eventually, I worked up the courage to write my book. Wow. Talk about a jack of all trades. That is so cool. And it sounds like you've got a little bit of background, you said, in fighting and all of that stuff as well. So I'm sure a lot of that informed your book. But I'm so curious before I have that question on my little list here. uh, What is your connection to James Bond? The thing about mystery is I, I loved it, but I never had my character. Um, I felt like I didn't just want to write about a police detective. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the current trend in thriller is to write about ex-military and I don't have that background. I thought it wouldn't be authentic. Mm. Um, but one night uh, I had a very vivid dream that I appeared on Saturday night live and that I, uh, was being made fun of by Daniel Craig for playing James Bond before him and being very terrible at it. <laughs> and it was one of those vivid dreams where you wake up and for like three minutes it, it happened. And I was like, why would they do that? I have never acted. <laughs> that is a horrible idea. Um, and then I realized, no, Joe, this is a dream. And I started writing things down because sometimes when you have a dream, it's about the feeling you had. Um, and I wanted to remember it. And I thought there might be a story here. Uh, so then I turned around. I've always been a big Ian Fleming fan. Uh, probably can't see, but I have all his books over here. Oh, wow. And started looking a little more into what James Bond was and what it has became and how it evolved. And then it just took over. I just started writing. Yeah, wow. Well, that's so funny because obviously your dream informed that first chapter of the book where Ken is there with that, the two newer Jove brands and they have that little sketch together, which is so fun. So, okay. And what other ways has your life and your experience informed the book? Oh boy. So, you know, when you're writing a detective character, especially a character that you hope will become a series character, you need to create someone compelling you think people are going to come back to. Um, Someone who's lived a a life that gives them a unique perspective. I think we all have our inner detective. And we 
that's the beauty of the genre is you get to spend some time with somebody in their head. And um, I wanted to embody a character who, you know, in the hardball detective genre, detectives take a beating. They're kind of known for it. There's usually a scene where they get beat up by the bad guy, sure. but they persevere. I wanted someone who had been beaten down by life, but not physically, someone who had been spiritually beaten down, um, had been weathered, but someone who that weathering process had sort of weathered the sharp edges off them and turned them into a more empathetic, understanding person. And I think that empathy is kind of what defines Ken, sure. is he sees he's been at his lowest and he meets people at their lowest and he understands them and, and inherently forgives them, um, which is good because there are a lot of terrible people in my books. <laughs> yeah, that was something I kind of noticed as we were going through. I felt like all of the characters you met seemed like they could have been a suspect. And I was wondering if that was something that was intentional. Were you trying to make it seem like it could be anybody who is the killer in this book? Or was it just the nature of that genre where you are always just suspecting anybody you meet. So mystery readers are a very savvy audience. Um, and they are playing detective too. Um, as an aside, when you write a mystery, it's very important you play fair with them. Sure. Um, they want, you have to give the reader a fair chance at solving it. It has to be there. And um, which means taking risks. So that's important to give them options, but also to play against their expectations. For example, if you bring in a character who is genuinely a nice, good person, the way Missy Cazale is in the book, uh, the whole time you're kind of suspecting her because <laughs> how could someone just be so nice and honest and genuine? There must be a hidden side to this person. Sure. Um, but we learn more about Missy and how she's a broken person who never really healed. Because um, I was very drawn to the idea that you could meet your one person uh and lose them and never recover mm. and that sort of defines her um but many of my characters too they're inspired by uh real people and real events the, the way law and order is ripped from the headlines i kind of rip things from pop culture sure and um but they're not supposed to be the people <laughs> um, you know, uh, Dina Calabria in no way, if you're listening, Barbara Broccoli is supposed to be you. Okay. Don't come get me. I really respect what you've done. Um, it's so funny that you bring up the character of Missy as someone who seemed so nice that you're suspicious of her because that is absolutely, we were just talking about that before we hopped on together. I was telling Gabe how I just was really suspecting her through the entire book and you know I won't spoil the ending but I really was convinced she was it was going to be her if not her then another character that I'll I'll probably tell you after this so we don't spoil anything for our listeners at home but um when I found out who the killer was it was one of those things like you said mystery readers are always trying to be, play the detective themselves and I felt like you just did such a great job of a outlining the mystery so that you could see very clearly who all the suspects were, why they were suspects, and then who the killer ended up being, why it made so much sense that it was this person. 
and all of the other little Easter eggs you hit along the way just, just made it such a fun thing to read. Oh, thank you. Yeah, of course. Okay, well, I have a question that I ask some of our authors sometimes, uh, and part of me is curious just to see if it would be any different, but uh, we're in the unique position where Jove Brand is based off of some a movie that already exists. It's, you know, very yes. close to James Bond. Usually I would ask you who you would cast in your book um, if it were to be made in a, into a movie, but would you just keep the James Bond characters alive? Oh, no. Um, <laughs> you know, I did want to make very key distinctions early in the book that this is a, a different sort of parallel world. Thank you, Marvel, for putting the multiverse in everyone's head. <laughs> now we know that you can have a parallel reality where this character exists and the other doesn't. Um, so it was important to do to make some physical uh, differences and to sort of set it up differently. Sure. But when I think about, you know, can part of the, you know, the how things turned out so poorly for him in his youth is that he was extremely unsuited to play the part. Mm -hmm. He basically was the opposite of who you would cast to be a super spy. He's not confident or suave. <laughs> um, and he is uh, humble. And uh, so when you think of that, you know, I, you think of actors who might pull it off. Um, of course, I, you know, I think uh, if you had to pick like a celebrity actor, I think Chris Evans is a home run actor because um, he's an incredible comedic actor. If you're familiar with his work before he was Captain America. Sure. Yeah. But he's also super familiar with being so closely tied to a role that people start to conflate who you play with who you are mm -hmm. and and trying to escape that uh but my my dark horse is hayden christensen who is the actor who played anakin skywalker in the star wars movies right <laughs> because even though he did a phenomenal job um he the fandom and the reaction to those movies and his portrayal made him retire from acting mm -hmm. he left acting for 20 years and just recently came back for this new obi-wan show uh and, and delightfully discovered that the fandom adores him oh um, well that's so and it's, great it's been really heartening to see his reaction it felt good yeah well i'm sure yeah i it's so funny that you bring that up because i feel like i recently had seen maybe because of obi-wan just a little bit more about hayden christensen and just media these days. And it's been very cool. Um, you had mentioned before that you did quite a bit of research into James Brand and all of, or James Brand, James Bond, um, in mm -hmm. your creation, in your writing of the book, just to really make sure that even if it was parallel, they shared some things and were very different in other ways. So I'm curious as to what kind of research you did for that. Sure. So the fun research was me and my wife sat down with all the movies and watched them in order. Um, oh, wow. Uh, my wife uh, loves period stuff, 60s, 70s, um, interior design. So even though maybe the movies aren't that engaging for her, she was just blown away by how the movies were a travel log. Like they were a way for people to see exotic places. Remember, there's no internet, no cable. Uh, this was your, you, did you want to see what Montenegro looked like? This is probably your best shot at it. 
Um, and I started to like look at the structure of the movies so that I could mirror the set pieces in a James Bond movie inside my mystery. So if you notice the major action events of the movie, they happen in sort of like weird super villainy layers where like the setting is kind of fantastic. Whether it's this Frank Lloyd Wright uh, style vineyard or an oil rig that's been converted to a casino or a cliffside fortress that's carved into the mountain that this movie mogul uh, made on uh, the movie's budget and then just kept after uh-huh. as a way to get his dream home but have it funded through the movie. <laughs> um, but also I wanted to look at Ian Fleming, the writer of the books, and how he had come upon it and it led me down an interesting rabbit hole of uh who Ian Fleming potentially based the original character off of. Maybe it was Roald Dahl, who we know is a children's book author, but he was an RAF pilot who later became a spy and was the official seducer of the uh, British ministry. Um, He's famous for his romantic liaisons, even at one point coming back uh, and, and complaining that he was becoming worn out and being told to get back in there and do your duty for the country. Um, Also, Bond might have been based on Christopher Lee, the actor. Uh, I mean, I'll always know him as Dracula, but (laughs) most people know him as uh, in his later roles as um, in the Star Wars movies or uh, the Lord of the Rings movies as uh, Saruman, the evil wizard. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because Lee was also uh, a spy who worked for the Ministry of Ungentlemanly Warfare. And I love the idea of an author who suffered traumatic events in the war, a generation of people that came home with PTSD before we knew what it was, and used the books as a vehicle to work it all out. And that's, and you kind of see that in Fletcher. But I make no apologies for Fleming or my fictionalized version of him. You know, in the <laughs> book, when I talk about Bowman Fletcher, the author of the books, I say... Let's be honest. He was all the ists. Anything that ends in IST, sure. the guy was. Yeah. You know? so, I do remember. That was the line. too long of an answer. <laughs> no, no. I, that was great. And I, I actually, that line did stick out to me. I loved that line. He was all of the ists you yeah. could think of. Um, it's so interesting to hear you talk about how much of this was research that you did in writing the book and things that you kind of already knew because it seems like your connection to just movies in general is really strong. Well, you know, as a writer and and also just as a lover of stories, I am really fascinated with the stories behind the stories. When I see something I love, a television show, movie, book, my first thought is, where did this come from? Who are the creators? What was their process? Uh, I love IMDb trivia. Like, (laughs) I'll get on IMDb trivia and, like, read everything I can. And I, so I kind of became like a little trivia buff for these, these little, these, these very interesting stories. Um, as someone who prefers the story to the truth, like mm. I would rather have the story anyway, you know, like a lot of times I'll, you know, you'll hear a story, allegorical story, and uh, I'll just decide that's what really happened. <laughs> I, I don't want to 
<laughs> and I'm curious about your writing process and, and putting this together. You said that you drew a lot of inspiration from all of these different things and you're very much, it seems, inclined to the story. Uh, so did this come together in sequence in your head? Did you do a lot of outlining phases? How did you put this together? You know, I feel like my editor is going to hear this. But uh, <laughs> my first my first draft is, is completely by the seat of my pants. I have <laughs> almost no plan. Um, you know, I have like a few notes, like little snippets of the future. Except for I almost always, and I can't think of a time I didn't, have the ending. Um, the ending's super important to me, sticking the landing, and also what my wife has labeled the bittersweet twist that I like in at the end of the book. I cannot help myself. There's always just a little turn of the knife at the end. Um, and that's in my head. And uh, so the first draft is, is completely pantsed, uh, <laughs> as, you know, the fly by the seat of your pants, if you're not familiar with the term. I pants that out. <laughs> and then in revision... I go back and hit my beats, check structure. I'm really a revision author. Um, the first draft, while I know it's many people's favorite, because it's just so free, there are no rules. All the problems are for future you. It's not <laughs> your problem. I love revision. I love getting into it. I love word choice and I love tightening a web where everything has a reason and everything interconnects and you see how it all fits together um and then of course when i'm done it looks like it was completely the intention the whole time sure yeah <laughs> i uh i absolutely could see exactly what you mean as you described everything all of that like i said before the little easter eggs it felt like you were dropping hints throughout the book as to how it all was going to come together at the end. And those are always, I was talking to Jason often about this in our last interview. Those are always my favorite kind of books where I feel like you don't really see how it comes together until it does. And then you're like, oh, that's right. This thing happened and this thing happened. And now it all makes sense. And I love your wife's uh, saying about the bittersweet twist at the end. And I think I know what she's referring to in your book as well. And it just, it makes it all so fun for, at least in my opinion, for the reader. I think it, those are my favorite kind of books, the ones where oh. it just feels like it ties up so nicely. And so I'm excited because I know you've got a sequel coming out as well, Heroes Ever Die. Mm -hmm. um, I want to talk to you about that too. So yeah, um, I'm just going to, we'll, we'll round back to some of my other questions because I'm just curious sure. about your sequel first. I... Um I always wanted to write a series character. I actually, I love sequels and I love um, an evolving story. Um, I like the idea of evolving a cast and their relationships and bringing them back. Um, and, we, and, and going on a, a bit of a journey. So when I pitched it being a series, what I wanted to do was each book I wanted to address a different fandom you know the first book is set to the backdrop of if a normal guy was thrown into a super spy movie and had to survive sure. um but i i love superheroes and i actually really love our cultural fascination with superheroes and superhero films in the last 10 years and uh, so i wanted to write a book that talks about superheroes so Heroes Ever Die is about 
Uh, it's Our Return of Ken Allen, and it's about a killer who begins murdering the actors who play superheroes in superhero films mm. and who they are and what they're getting up to and why they're doing it. Um, it also let me talk a little bit about creators and creators' rights because superheroes are big business now. They make billions upon billions of dollars. And the, the creators who created them get none of that money. They were paid pittances for what they did. And many of them died in poverty. So it was also a conversation about how we treat the creators of these things. And in a way, how the fans want to forget that their heroes were created by anybody. Because then that means those creations don't belong to them. They belong to the person that created them. Wow. That's a really interesting thing to reflect on. I am I was already excited to read it after reading this, but that's a really interesting topic to, to touch on. I'm excited to get into that later. Um, so just to take a little bit of a turn, you had mentioned earlier that you have fighting experience yourself. Uh, the fighting scenes in Joe Brander, uh, just some of them are just a little bit graphic obviously the the murders of some of these characters and uh you had mentioned in the book that Kel ken allen himself had choreographed this in jove brand the eyes gouging out and all of that stuff what yeah. was your inspiration for that does that have anything to do with your fighting experience when i thought about ken you know i needed a person who failed in this role mm -hmm. that would mean that they were a horrible actor Mm -hmm. So then the next question that arose is, well, then how in the heck would you ever get the part? Like this person would have never made it out of audition. <laughs> and I realized what would have had to have happened is it would have to be an emergency situation. Sure. You needed someone right now, a warm body. Mm -hmm. um, and you would need somebody who was appropriate for the situation. So... I thought this would be someone who what basically they were was a, a stuntman. Somebody who was very physically capable, was able to uh, make a movie where they were in extreme physical danger because there are no safety standards and there's they're, they're flying by the seat of their pants. And also someone who is young and naive and uh, everyone is taking advantage of, sure. you know, um, Many uh, a character in the book uh, points out to Ken that he's sort of a people pleaser mm. and that, you know, if, if people ask him to jump, you know, he generally asks how high and I'll try not to hit the helicopter blades, mm. you know, like it's that's in the nature of Ken. So that sort of informed it. And it also gave me an excuse to have spy like action scenes. OK. Um, now. Ken was a young man when he made the movie. He was inappropriately aged for the part. He was in his early 20s. Right. And he admits in the book that um, he was a little immature. And some of the things he came up with came out of that era of, like, extreme 90s action. Uh -huh. But also from an immature mind. Because as we learn in the book, Ken doesn't necessarily enjoy hurting people. Right. And if he cannot hurt somebody, he will definitely avoid it. In fact, and this plays into Heroes Ever Die, it had always bothered me that in a series, because of 
the nature of a, a long series. Many detective characters end up killing hundreds of people. Right. Like, and, you know, if even if they just kill one person a book, 10 books in, this person's killed 10 people. Sure. And we put it aside. We say, like, this wouldn't affect your psyche. But I thought, what if I made a character that was just unable to take somebody's life? They just didn't have it in them. Um, and in, in, in Near Death, we see Ken. He, he refuses to do anything lethal. All his weapons are non-lethal. Mm-hmm. And in Heroes Ever Die, it's put to the test um, where he refuses to, to up the stakes when people are very dangerous and trying to kill him. And it would be very easy. The easy thing would to be to match that violence. And, but it's just not in his morality to take a life. Um, and that comes from who Ken sees as his heroes and who he sees as himself as. Sure. You know? And Heroes Ever Die, he says, what someone else is willing to do has nothing to do with what I'm willing to do. I think that's a really powerful statement. I think we all grow up hearing, you know, that old phrase where if your friends all jumped off a cliff, would you do it too? And, you know, mm-hmm. when you think about it, obviously, no, like that sounds crazy. Why would I jump off a cliff just because someone else is willing to do it? But I think we all tend to kind of fall into these rhythms where we see someone doing something and we think, well, okay, they're doing it. What's the problem with me doing it too? So I think that's a really, another really interesting topic to touch upon and something that makes me excited to get into it more. As I said before, I'm Still feeling very excited to read this sequel. Thank you so much for sharing that. You know, um, when you write a detective character, or really any character, but I think crime fiction especially, deals with morality. Sure. And I think you need to decide what your character's code is Mm -hmm. and adhere to that because I think the reader feels the code. They feel this person's morality. And it's a sliding scale, you know. We all like to read about our anti-heroes, and we, you know, of course, it's a different flavor. Um, and not just for your characters, but for your supporting characters. You should understand their morality. You know, when we talk about the characters in Near Death, they're intended to be whole people. In every scene, for, you know, I cheated a little bit, and Near Death is mostly about Ken's past. So every scene is loaded because he has a history with each of these people. Sure. But each of these people has their own agenda inside the story in the scene. When Ken talks to Dean Calabria, Dean has his own agenda. Right. Dina has her own agenda. She has her own secrets to protect. She has her own concerns. Mm-hmm. Um, Missy has her own agenda. And you should be able to feel that. Absolutely. The, the characters your detective interacting with can't simply be cardboard cutouts that spit out the information they require right no that was one thing that I did definitely catch in your book I thought it was really cool how fleshed out all of your characters were um okay so just because I have a little note of it here and I'm really excited to hear your answer to this uh what can you tell us about joebrandfan.com oh okay so (laughs) um every writer is confronted with having to cut things out of their book. Sure. Because um, you don't know what you're going to need as the book evolves. 
um, which is why it, it for any uh, prospective writers, continue on with your story and finish your story. Do not go back. You do not even know what you're going to have to change or do later until you've seen the entire picture. Um, so what had happened is early in the book, I kept referencing old Jove brand movies. Mm -hmm. So I started making a list of all the movies and what had happened in them. Because I earlier my vision was that uh, the killer in the book would emulate all these different movies. Um, but I found that it became unwieldy for the reader to keep so many movies in their head and little things. And it wasn't, it wasn't cogent to the plot, mm. but I hated throwing it away. I had made up a timeline, 19 films, titles, wow. plots, <laughs> and I thought, I can't throw this away. And I thought, well, there's a character in the book who is a super fan. And he has, he runs the big gossip rag to deal with the Jove brand fandom. Right. Um, including having pictures of Ken in compromising positions and things like that. <laughs> you know, uh, mm -hmm. you know, Ken says that Lane Lackey in the book is, you know, the, both the angel and the devil on his shoulders. You know, he's done wonderful things for him, but he, he takes takes a toll on you sure <laughs> and i thought well i'll make a website that's supposed to be lane lackey's fandom website where i can at least put up all these things i made up so i didn't feel like it was wasted uh but if if you do if you want to have a fun little time uh you can go to the joe uh, joebrandfan.com and you can read about all the old movies and and their their plots which i really wanted to make era specific like wow. when we were fascinated with the space program or when <sighs> nuclear war seemed like it was a real threat that was on the horizon, you know? Sure. And uh, so that, uh, you know, so that if you look at a Jove brand we made in 2003, you can almost hear the evanescence, <laughs> you know, like you, you should be able to feel that. Absolutely. Yeah, it was very cool. Gabe and I were checking it out before the interview and it's really it's very detailed and it is so much yeah. like the site that you kind of described Lane Lackey keeping up to date yeah. in the book where it has all of the different letters that stand for the different things and it, it was just it was very cool and it's so fun to go through and really see how fleshed out this universe is that you've created it's very very cool my web designer uh, uh Maria Dong I she has all the, I give her all the credit in the world because she made that happen. I have no idea how that stuff works. <laughs> and, um, and she's also a writer. Her, oh, wow. her first thriller comes out uh, next year. Like she's, Oh my gosh. She's Very like one cool. of these people you meet. That's like a true Renaissance person. <laughs> You're like, do you sleep? I don't understand. You can do all these things. <laughs> That's very neat. Well, okay, before we sign off with you, I wanted to ask you if there's any book that you're reading right now that you just has been capturing your attention. You know, one of the unforeseen things about becoming a writer um, is there's so much you're trying to keep up with. You want to know the state of the genre. And also you meet other writers, they become your peers you're rooting for them. You want to see their work. You want to know what they're doing. Sure. Um, and 
I'm always trying to stay on top of that and just see how things are evolving. Um, there's a writer, his name's Alex Segura. He just wrote a book, uh, just came out called Secret Identity, um, which is a set in the 70s. It's about a, a woman who enters the male-dominated comics industry, and uh, her creation is stolen from her, and murders start occurring, and she sort of adopts a superhero persona to uh, solve the crime. And I thought, wow, this is so parallel to the book I'm working out that I have coming out in August now. Um, I was super glad it was set in the 70s and there were big differences. I was like, whew, somebody didn't write my book before me. (laughs) (laughs) But, But really, most of what I read now I read as fuel um, for my superhero book. I'm a huge comic book fan, like embarrassingly big. Amazing. Um, so I, I, I read a lot of that stuff. And I also read a lot about the creators of comic books. And now I can't really talk about projects I'm working on, but now I'm brushing up on my urban fantasy Ooh. and I'm brushing on, up on my historical young adult mystery because I, I'm writing two different books set in those genres right now, as well as the third Ken Allen book, um, which I'm almost ready to send those sample chapters over to CamCat. Um, and uh, as a little teaser, uh, if they go for it, fingers crossed, um, it is about a long-running fantasy television show that is entering its 10th season when its creator, R.R. Renard, is murdered and oh. the notebook that has all the twists, endings, and secrets of the characters is stolen. So my first book was about super spies. The second one is about superheroes. And the third one is my chance to write my love letter to the fantasy genre and poke a little fun at Game of Thrones. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, I look forward to hopefully seeing that in our submission queue very soon. Um, That is all the time that we have, but this was so lovely. Thank you so much for joining us, Joe. Oh, it was an absolute pleasure. And to our listeners at home, you can find Joe Brand is Near Death on our website, camcatbooks.com, in ebook, audiobook, and print format. CamCat Unwrapped is available on all major podcast distribution sites, or you can watch us on our YouTube channel, CamCat Unwrapped. And make sure you follow us on social media at CamCatBooks. Thank you so much for tuning in and unwrapping another one of our books to live in with me. My name's Jess, and I'll see you next time here on CamCat Unwrapped.